Will you pray with me? Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the uh, powerful truth and reminder in that song that, uh, that you came, uh, that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, uh, to be with us as light uh, into this dark world, to, to overcome the darkness in the world and in our lives. And I pray, uh, Father, that we would find joy and hope uh, in knowing that you are here in this room today, that you're with us, God. Uh, but that you are not contained to this room. It's not about just an hour uh, on Sundays, but as followers of Jesus that you go with us, uh, that you're in our lives and that you are able and that you are light uh, in every aspect uh, of our lives today. And I want to pray for those here this morning, Lord, who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, Father, I pray that you might use today to open up their minds, to open up their hearts, to see the difference that your light can make uh, in their life and uh, in this Christmas season uh, that we're in. Uh, God, would you use me? Uh, Would you give me the words this morning? Would you bless our time together? Uh, We thank you and praise you. Uh, And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, hey, we want to welcome you uh, here today. My name is Paul Mumaw, uh, and I'm the lead pastor at Genesis. And uh, I-, I don't know about you, but we keep a basket uh, on our kitchen table at home. And uh, you know it's Christmas time because, well, especially this past week, it's really filling up with Christmas cards. Uh, they've just been coming in, and so we've got the Christmas cards, and we've got the letters, and we've got the family photos, and uh, I've got to tell you, I love getting these cards. I love uh, hearing from old friends and uh, seeing pictures of their families and uh, receiving these cards and these letters from, from many of you, people like you who mean so much to us, and uh, uh, I don't know about you, but we use these cards. Uh, we keep these cards on our table, and we pray uh, for those families at dinner time. We'll take one of those cards uh, before we eat our meal. We'll pray for that family uh, before putting it back. And so maybe that's an idea for you if you've ever wondered or wanted to know what to do uh, with all those cards. But let's be honest about something, uh, if we can, for just a moment. Uh, Do you ever receive or have you ever received one of these uh, Christmas letters uh, from a friend or from a family member, and maybe they have nothing but the best intentions uh, with their letter, but by the time you get done reading all of their highlights and about their trips and about their kids' accomplishments, well, I mean, do you ever just read the letter and when you're done, you just find yourself liking yourself less, all right? I mean, you just, like all you want to do is you want to just kind of crawl into a corner with a bag of Doritos and a blanket and, and just let the year go by. I mean, anybody ever feel like that? at all. You read a letter like that. There's a name uh, for those letters. They're called the humble brag letters. And uh, well, funny enough, if you go on the internet, you can find all sorts of parodies uh, of these Christmas letters. I I ran across a few of them this past week, but I thought I'd just share this one uh, as an example for you. This is just one couple uh, writing, sending their Christmas letter out to some of their friends. Here's what they wrote. They said, this year has been a whirlwind of trips for me and Calvin. Uh, In January, we went to Germany. Brr. In February, it was Asia. March, we went to Branson. We spent April and May at home. Needed a break. Uh, Resumed our travels in June with a jaunt to Chicago. July was Branson again. We just love Silver Dollar City. Uh, August was a quick quick trip back to Asia. So hot there. Uh, September was France. We were home for October and November, then spent some time in New York City in December. Phew, I need a vacation from my vacations. Merry Christmas. Uh, humble brag letters uh, is what they're called. Now, before any of you go thinking to yourself, wait a second, we sent the Moomaws a Christmas letter. Did we sound like that? 
You'll never know. I won't tell. You, you just, that, that, that's just up to you, but I'm just kidding. Uh, I promise uh, that it's none of you, but maybe you've received some letters like that. But to be fair, uh, I think these Christmas letters maybe aren't so much as bragging as much as we just do everything we can uh, to try and convince people, you know, how, how happy we are or uh, blessed that we are. I mean, everyone sounds so happy uh, in their Christmas letter or their Christmas card. I mean, even if it's been a tough year. Uh, we do what we can to put our best foot forward. I mean, for some reason, uh, this time of the year just kind of forces us uh, to try and put on our happy face. Well, uh, Christmas is a happy time uh, for a lot of people, but for others, uh, you know, I know that it can be one of the most difficult times of the year. I mean, for many, uh, Christmas can just kind of increase stress. Uh, due to uh, financial demands and expectations. I mean, especially if you're trying to keep up with everyone else or to top last year's gift to someone in your life or maybe uh, to your kids or something. Uh, for some, holidays are tough as parties and family gatherings. I mean, you've got to run into some people that maybe you'd rather really not uh, have to run into. Or maybe uh, those holidays and those parties just kind of magnify the reality uh, that you're alone and, and it's hard. Um, it's hard to put on a happy face when maybe on the inside you really feel like uh, you're dying. I know for some people, uh, Christmas makes them happy and giddy uh, because they just love this time of the year. But if you're in the other category, well, it kind of makes you want to punch happy people in the throat, doesn't it? I mean, if you just, you know, if they're just pouring it on a little bit too much, but we don't want to do that. We're not advocating that or anything. But regardless uh, of what this time of the year uh, does to you or does in you, I mean, the truth is that um, everybody's got their problems, and we've all got the different circumstances. We've all got uh, various sources of unhappiness uh, in our lives, and Christmas as a holiday, at least, uh, the way most people in America celebrate Christmas can't change that, unfortunately. Um, but what if, what if this Christmas uh, something could happen in your life uh, that really would change things for you? Uh, if you've got a Bible, I want to invite you to take it and uh, turn to uh, Luke chapter 1. We're going to get started uh, there in just a moment, but uh, we're in week two of a series uh, that we got kicked off in last week, a series called The Light Has Dawned, and those words come right out of another place in Scripture. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 9, uh, verse 2, we've got it here on the side screens for you. Why don't you read this with me, if you would? Uh, it comes right out of the Old Testament. Let's read it together. Isaiah writes, "...the people walking in darkness..." have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You know, all of the Old Testament uh, points to this light, to the one that who is to come uh, and bring light to all things. To, to, uh, and we believe, uh, we believe that that light is Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And that's why John wrote in the New Testament, in John chapter 1, uh, verses 4 and 5, he wrote, in him, in Jesus, was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. Verse 5, he says, That light, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You know, light is so powerful. I mean, when you think about it, I mean, no amount of darkness uh, can overcome light. I remember uh, I was on a cave tour one time, and, and the guide turned all of the lights off uh, while we were in the cave. You know, and you have that moment if you hold your finger up to your nose, and you can't even see your finger because it's so dark in there. And so it was pitch dark in the cave, and you couldn't see a thing until all of a sudden the tour guide took one match and struck that match. And it was just fascinating 
how, how the light, how the flame from one small match was capable of lighting up every corner uh, in that particular area of the cave. Again, there is no amount of darkness that can overcome uh, the power of light. I was reading this past week that in 2010, uh, Paul Crother, uh, professor of astrophysics from the uh, University uh, of Sheffield, described what they descri- or, uh, found, discovered, uh, what they described as the brightest star ever found in the universe. Uh, not even a welder's helmet could protect your eyes from the brightness uh, from this star. The mass of this star is something like 265 times greater uh, than our sun, uh, but that's nothing. Um, The brightness of this star is 10 million times greater uh, than the sun that we see every day. Well, not in the winter here in Indiana, but you know what I'm talking about in the spring uh, and in the summer. But think about it for a second. I mean, the star which they named R136A1 is not twice as bright as our sun, even though that would be overwhelming. Uh, It's not 10 times brighter, which is a light so bright uh, that you really can't imagine it. It's not a thousand times brighter or even a million times brighter, but this particular star is 10 million times brighter than our sun. You know, the light from a star like that is beyond anything that we can imagine. And whether you choose to believe it or not, in the very same way, Jesus is like that for us too. Uh, He comes as the light to the world. And as Christians, we believe that He is that light and that God sent His Son and in Him was life. Uh, And that means that the only thing that really matters in your life is Jesus Christ. The only thing that truly matters is your relationship with Jesus Christ, that He, as our life, is our purpose, that that He is where we find our meaning, that He is where we find our significance and we find our satisfaction. He comes as a bright light into this world and into our lives, and where His light appears in your life, darkness has to flee. It has to go. It it can't take it. And uh, last week, um, our campus pastor, Ben, uh, talked about the uh, darkness of anxiety and how Christmas, you know, really is an anxious time for some people. And that anxiety is like this cloud that, that hovers over us and uh, can hover over our lives. And today I want to talk to you about the sorrow and sadness uh, that is sometimes magnified in our lives uh, at Christmas. And uh, whether that sorrow for you uh, emerges uh, in your life as a result of financial difficulties right now uh, or a loss of a relationship, uh, maybe someone that, somebody that you loved that uh, was with you last Christmas but you're not going to see this Christmas. Uh, maybe it's the reality of depression uh, or the loneliness in your life right now, or maybe the, um, you know, just the difficulties that come with some of the circumstances that you're facing in your job, or maybe with, with your kids, or again with your marriage. The powerful truth uh, for you and me today is that the light of Jesus in your life can transform that sadness and that sorrow, and He can transform it into joy. Uh, He he can do that work in you. And so I want to take a look at a story today uh, that hopefully will help illustrate some of that. And that's where we pick it up in Luke chapter 1. I want to look at uh, another story with you, the story of Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus. And even if you don't know much about Mary, uh, chances are that you know one of two things about Mary. Number one is that Mary was the mother of Jesus. And number two is that Mary had a little lamb. All right? Uh, One of those two things. Sorry. Maybe I won't do that joke in the second service. But anyways, uh, Scripture says for us that Mary, uh, we're talking about the mother of Jesus one, uh, was from a town called Nazareth. Let's pick it up in uh, verse 26 uh, and see what we discover. Luke writes, he says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, we talked a little bit about Elizabeth last week. She would be the mother of John the Baptist. 
It says, God sent the angel to Gabriel, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now, just a little background here for you. Nazareth was a small town in first century Israel, and it was really a dark time uh, in Israel's history. It had It had been generations, really, since the people of Israel uh, had been a nation of their own. And at this particular time in history, King Herod the Great uh, ruled over these people. Now, there's one problem. Uh, King Herod the Great wasn't really that great. Uh, In fact, he he was quite a psycho. Um, Herod had ruled and was ruling Mary's country uh, on Rome's behalf, and you could say that he was ruling with an iron fist. And uh, not only was he merciless, uh, but many of the Roman soldiers that occupied Israel at the time would often use uh, brutal force uh, against the people of Israel and Nazareth uh, as needed. Now, add to that, it was a very challenging time financially for the people of Israel, as many of them were taxed at a rate of 90%. And so you could say that first century Israel uh, was a sorrowful place. Now, while the nation of Israel suffered as a whole under Herod's rule, even more so uh, in Nazareth. Um, you know it. I mean, you know when the economy's bad that the small towns uh, tend to feel it the most. We see that even today. Well, Nazareth was at the bottom of the totem pole uh, in a nation that was already uh, at the bottom. Now, archaeologists tell us that Nazareth uh, might have been a town of no more than 150 people. And so it wasn't this quaint little town with a really cute bed and breakfast uh, and a bunch of shops that you might go walking through on a Saturday morning. Um, Nazareth uh, was located, we got a map here, was located near Galilee uh, and about four miles from a Roman garrison. And some archaeologists say and believe that Nazareth might have been a thriving red light district uh, where the Roman soldiers would spend their weekend passes. And so you could say that it was a hole. I mean, it really was this backwards, a back corner, off the beaten path sort of a place. In fact, years after uh, this first particular Christmas, Nathaniel, one of Jesus' own disciples, would snidely remark that nothing good can come from Nazareth. I mean, that pretty much sums up the reputation uh, of Nazareth. There was nothing special about this place. And, and that's where we meet Mary. That's where we meet this girl, Mary. Now, she's a young girl, most likely around the age of 12, 13, or 14. She was a gay, engaged to a man named Joseph. And uh, we don't know much about her. Uh, we don't know if uh, her life had any more or any less sorrow than anyone else uh, living in the backwoods town of Nazareth. But I think it's safe to say that she shared in the rejection of her people, uh, that she shared in the rejection of the people of Nazareth. And then one day, this happened, picking it up in verse 28. It says, The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month for no word from God will ever fail. 
And then look at her response in verse 38. She said, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then it says that the angel left her. And so the angel, there's this greeting, there's this angelic visit, which really wasn't all that common uh, in these days, but this angel comes to Mary and says, don't be afraid, Mary. Don't be afraid. You have found favor with God. The Lord is with you. You're going to have a baby, and this baby will be the Messiah. Now put yourself, uh, if you would, in Mary's shoes. All right, for just a moment. I mean, the Scripture tells us that she's a virgin, and so that means that a couple of questions have to be coming to her mind uh, very quickly. The first one is, how in the world is this possible? I mean, Mary, she's, she's had seventh grade health class, all right? I mean, she went to Nazareth Middle School here. I mean, she, she knows how this works, and she and Joseph haven't been messing around, and so how in the world is she pregnant? I mean, she's, she's planning for a wedding. I mean, she's thinking about bridesmaids and flowers and cakes, and now she's got to get this dress altered, all right? I mean, if there's a, there's a baby that's going to be on the scene. And so maybe that's one question, but I wonder if there's another question that at least at some point she might not have asked, and that once she was over the hurdle of realizing that she's pregnant, there's another question that comes to mind, and that question is, how in the world, how could this be possible for someone like me, someone from Nazareth, to be chosen as the mother of the Son of God, as a mother to the Savior? as a mother to the Messiah. I mean, she's thinking, you know, God is going to bring light into the world through me. How could this be? Well, I love Mary's response. I mean, if you go back to verse 38 again, how does she respond? She says, I'm the Lord's servant. She responds, may your word to me be fulfilled. Basically, yes, Lord, no matter what it requires, no matter what it takes, she says, you can use me. God, have your way in my life. You can use me. And and if you follow the story from the air, there, the angel leaves, and Mary goes off to visit her cousin Elizabeth. Uh, I mean, she's got to tell somebody uh, the news. And just look at her response, starting in verse 46. It says, And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has been mindful of the humble state of His servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped His servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. Now, this particular translation right there in verse 46 says that Mary said, uh, but it's more commonly believed that Mary actually sang, uh, that she sang these words. And some of you uh, know these words as Mary's song, or they're also referred to as the Magnificat. Uh, but what I want you to see is that right in the middle of the sorrow, and right in the middle of the sadness, and right in the middle of the, of the dark and the sorrowful time in her nation and in her home and maybe in her life, we see this transformation in Mary where she goes from a person of sorrow to a person of joy. And I just think it's so important that we see this, that even in the difficulties of her life and this new responsibility before her, his response is a response of joy. Now, some of you might be quick to say, well, how else is she supposed to respond? I mean, she's a, she's a, a young mom now. I mean, she just got the news that she's going to have a baby. I mean, wouldn't any woman uh, be excited to receive news like that? Well, I, I think there might be some truth in that, and I think it's, it's possible that some enthusiasm for knowing that she's going to have a baby was, about, was going to, to come into her life. But, but, but remember, she's not married yet. 
And this is first century Israel. I mean, word is going to get out, and there are going to be consequences. And she's going to have to tell Joseph, and when she does, I can't imagine him replying, well, what, you know, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. You know, I mean, you know, I guess it's bound to, bound to happen. I mean, no way. I mean, this baby is going to create more problems for Mary than she's ex- uh, ever experienced before, not fewer. And, and for Joseph, I mean, he had every reason and every right in this particular culture to abandon her. He's got every reason to have her thrown out of this particular community. And, and in this culture, uh, as a single mom, as a cheater, as some would say, I mean, there was no support system whatsoever for a person in her situation. And so Mary's future is now more uncertain and complicated than it ever had been. And I think she's at least old enough to realize what she's up against. But how does she respond? Regardless of her circumstances, regardless of the uncertainty, joy. She responds with joy. And where's this joy coming from? Well, I'll give you a hint. I believe her joy comes from a part of the story that we might quickly or tend to overlook. Look back at verse 28 again, this, this greeting uh, at the very beginning of this visit. The angel says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. You know, if you grew up Catholic or uh, have any ties to the tradition, you may have come to believe that this particular greeting was reserved uh, especially for Mary. In fact, uh, many in the tradition celebrate Mary uh, as something more than just a humble servant of God. I mean, she's venerated uh, today in the Catholic Church, but the Greek word used here for highly favored at its root is this Greek word kerito, which is best translated as full of grace, that she is one who is full of grace. It's the same word used in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, where we read about how God chose you and He chose me when we're in Christ as His son and as His daughter. And as verse 6 goes on to say that through Jesus Christ and in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glorious grace, there's that same word kerito, which He has what? Freely given. He has freely given to the one, to us, through the one that He loves. That's the same grace that's been given to you if you're in Christ. It's the same grace that's been given to me. It's the same grace that God is waiting to pour out on your life uh, as you trust Him. In other words, I don't think you can read Mary's greeting and conclude that she found favor because she was better than anyone else. I mean, the angel is basically saying, you're receiving grace, and grace means gift, and when gifts are gifts, well, gifts are free. I mean, they're free. I mean, you and I don't do, do anything to deserve a gift. If you deserve a gift, it's a reward. All right, and gifts aren't rewards, they're gifts. And so the angel is saying, Mary, you are the recipient of this gift. You are the recipient of the Lord's grace. God chose you for this assignment, and He is with you. You won't do this alone. He is with you. And so I believe that this greeting uh, is the beginning, at least. It's, it's the seed of where Mary's joy comes from, uh, even in a sorrowful place, uh, called Israel. Now, let's just stop there for a moment. Let me just kind of address this question of joy uh, and happiness. And what, what is joy? Uh, we get these confused. I mean, what is joy? I mean, is it happiness? 
Well, if you're new to church uh, or new to Christianity, joy might not make that much sense to you. But even if you've been around church all of your life, I mean, uh, if you grew up in it, I mean, distinguishing between joy and happiness can be uh, very difficult. I mean, we often interchange these words, but they really aren't uh, interchangeable. Let me give you a couple of definitions if you're taking notes. Happiness is, when, is what we feel when something good happens, all right? It's when your kid does something great at school, all right? You know, I mean, when, when, when happy things create happiness, it's, it's when you get a kiss from, from your sweetheart and, and you're happy. If you're a Colts fan and the Patriots lose, you know, you're happy. I mean, it, it's happiness that, that comes out of the good things, but joy is different. I mean, every follower of Jesus has the potential to discover joy. It's what Galatians chapter 5 uh, calls a fruit uh, of the Spirit's work in us. And what's joy? Well, Another definition for you, joy is a deep sense of well-being regardless of our circumstances. That's what God can produce in us. It's a deep sense of well-being regardless of the circumstances. Again, happiness comes out of our circumstances, but joy comes from a deeper place. It overflows from our soul. Again, it's a deep sense of well-being regardless of the circumstances. And that's what the light of Jesus can do in your life. That's a, what the relation, a relationship with the Lord can do in your life. He can come into your life and He can change your sorrow to joy. Now, that doesn't mean He'll give you happiness in your sorrow, but we can have joy in the midst of our sorrow. I mean, Jesus is the best example of this. Um, Isaiah 53 describes Him as a man of sorrows, as a man of many sorrows, but at the very same time, we know that He was full of joy. And where did that joy come from? Well, joy comes from one place. It comes from the Lord. It's a gift from the Lord and His work in us. It comes from the Spirit's work in our life and His presence in our lives. And I hope you can find encouragement in that. Even if that might be difficult to understand, even difficult to process today, I hope that you can find uh, uh, encouragement, especially if you're facing some difficult challenges or circumstances in your life right now. Now, let's just be real. I mean, we all know that Christmas, for whatever reason, is just that time of the year when we feel our losses the most, you know, especially if you've lost a marriage in the past year. Again, if you lost someone that you love or uh, if you've lost a hometown as you've recently been relocated here or someone else, um, maybe it's the fear of an upcoming year and what next year might hold for you. I mean, what's supposed to be a happy time? Christmas often becomes this time when our sadness is magnified. And then with the new year in front of us, we find ourselves reflecting on the life we've been given instead of the life that we'd like to have, um, those things that we'd love to have in our life. And add to that the challenges of winter. I mean, it's cold and gray. And as my friends like to say, there's just this unicloud that just seems to hover over the state of Indiana for about five months uh, out of the year that certainly doesn't help, but no matter no matter what you're up against, no matter what you're going through in your life right now, like Jesus, you can find your joy in the Lord. I mean, Jesus found joy in his relationship with his father, and Mary discovered that too. And you know what? What God did for Jesus and what he did for Mary, he can do in your life as well. He can produce that joy in you, no matter who you are, uh, no matter what you're up against or what you're going through right, right, right now, no matter what, what struggle uh, is in your life, I mean, the joy Mary discovered, you can discover in your life too. I mean, just look at that greeting again that the angel gave to Mary. And let's just see a few things here uh, quickly that help us discover that joy. The first is this, that like Mary, you are favored by God. You are highly favored 
and loved by the Lord. Do you realize that? The depths to which He loves you and what He feels for you. Look at just some of these words that we find in Scripture that describe what He's done for us. Psalm 139, verse 14, where we read you, David says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He not only did that for David, but He did that for you and your life as He created you. He knows us intimately, uh, as Matthew describes in Matthew 10.30, and says that even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Now, I realize that that's not that great of an accomplishment for some of you like me that maybe are follically challenged, uh, but still, you can just see the intimacy at which He knows us and loves us. The Bible says that we are God's workmanship, that we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. The Bible says that He loves us with an everlasting love. And the greatest evidence of that love is described for us in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, where Paul writes that God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's just like those words that we, our team sang in that song just a moment ago. As he comes and he bears the weight of our sins so that we can become the righteousness of God. And what now? Well, as John writes in 1 John 4, 16, he says, and so we know and we rely on the love of God, the love that he has for us, that God is love, and that whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. We, I love those words. We know and we rely on the love that God has for us. And in case you want to respond, well, if that's what God thinks about me, well, then how come I'm not happy right now? Again, God's favor and presence in your life are not meant to bring us happiness they're meant to bring us joy. And there is a difference because, you know, the truth is that Jesus said, in this world you'll experience trouble. I mean, we know that trouble is not optional. But here's the thing, joy is possible. Joy is possible, even in our troubles, even in our difficult circumstances. And joy comes from Him, and you can find that joy in your life as you reflect and understand that you are favored by God and that 2,000 years ago He sent His Son to the earth for you, and it was His Son, it was Jesus Christ that came as light into the world and into your life, and He died for you, and He did it because He loves you and because you are favored by Him. Do you know that? Do you believe that in your life? that you are favored by God. There's another thing that we see in Mary's greeting that applies to you and me too. Like Mary, God is with you. He, he is with you. If you're in Christ, uh, if you've trusted Jesus Christ with your life, He is with you. Uh, his gift is that He sent His presence to live inside of you. And that just means that you will never have to go through any part of your life alone. That means that you don't have to go through your present circumstances alone. You don't have to go through your, your financial struggles right now alone. You don't have to do that with Him because He is with you. Uh, you don't have to go through the health uh, scare that you're in or the cancer alone. You don't have to go through the struggles right now of your marriage alone because there is a promise that He is with you. You don't have to go through the questions or battle rejection in your life right now alone. You don't have to go through your loneliness alone. And you certainly don't have to go through this Christmas season alone. Isaiah 41, 13 the Lord promises us, He says, For I am the Lord, your God, who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear. I will help you. He is with us. We're never alone. Hey, do you ever have um, one of those moments as a parent uh, where you're especially proud? You feel like, you know what, I'm, I'm not doing too bad here. Like, all right, I, I'm having some success uh, as a parent. I remember uh, it was a little over a year ago, we took our kids uh, to Disney World and uh, spent a few days at Disney World, and uh, well, 
as we have those moments where we feel maybe good about what we're accomplishing, uh, can we just acknowledge too that every once in a while we blow it, all right? We, we blow it as a mom, we blow it as a dad. Um, we were at Animal Kingdom and we were getting ready to ride this roller coaster called Expedition Everest. And uh, Kate, who was five years old at the time, really wasn't interested in participating in the ride. I don't understand why we're all doing it. We're just all to go together as a family. And well, Expedition Everest, I've been on it before, and so I knew that there were some hills. And well, not only does it go forwards, but it also goes backwards at times. And so I was doing all of my coercing, using all of the trust that we had built up in our relationship to get her onto this ride. And she really wasn't that interested in it and wasn't, well, all the ride was going. We're all, it's too late now. There's nothing I can do about it. And, but I'll hold your hand, Kate. All right. You know, I'm sitting right next to her, but that didn't seem to bring that much assurance or confidence to her in this moment. And as we started off in the ride, I started realizing that, you know what, this was a very poor decision uh, on my part again, because, well, as we got through it, I don't know if she had any more comfort in knowing that dad uh, was sitting there right by her side. And so our, our relationship took a big of a, a bit of a hit that day. And well, it's been a year now, and so we're working uh, to repair that relationship, uh, certainly. But, um, you know, the, the, the truth is that in life, uh, you don't have to be afraid when you're in Christ. You know, just as He promises us, He says, I, I'll take hold of your right hand. Don't be afraid. I will help you. I am always with you. Let me just ask you this. Where do you need the Lord's help in your life right now? Where do you need His work and uh, his presence in you. Tell him. Ask him. You know, pray and ask him to take your, your hand and to give you the courage uh, to help get you through. See, so many times, you know, when our circumstances get tough, we ask God to pull us out of them. But maybe instead of pulling us out of them, what he wants to do is he wants to walk through them uh, with us. You are favored by God. He is with you. And finally, uh, he has a plan for your life you know, like he did with Mary and with Jesus. He has a plan for your life. And, and, and that's just a reminder that he's in control and he wants to use you. And uh, he didn't wish these circumstances on you in your life right now, but he is able to use them and he is able to redeem them. And he wants to use your daily encounters with others. And he wants to use your generosity and faithfulness. And he wants to use your story for the sake of shining light. Uh, for others to see. I finished uh, reading a book this past week. Um, it's a book called A Walk to Beautiful. It's a story of a country music star, Jimmy Wayne. Now, don't judge me, all right, for reading a book about a country music star. I'm not really a fan, but I came across this book, and uh, I really found it to be pretty remarkable. Uh, Jimmy Wayne, who I'd never heard of before, uh, toured for a time with Brad Paisley, uh, and is probably best known uh, for his hit, Do You Believe Me Now?, which went to number one on the charts, uh, the country music charts back in 2008. And it was a big change. Uh, for a young man, a, a guy who was once a homeless kid uh, in North Carolina, he grew up uh, with a mother who was a bipolar, uh, a mother who married seven or eight different men in that time, was in and out of many different relationships with different men in different homes. And, well, you can only imagine the instability uh, that was created in this young man and the effect that it had on his life. And as a result, Jimmy experienced lots of change uh, and repeated abuse and some horrific living conditions. Uh, and add to that, he encountered so many Christians who often said one thing, uh, but were so different uh, behind the scenes. Add all of it up, 
and the painful circumstances he endured caused him to ask some difficult questions about his life, uh, but maybe even more importantly, God. Well, eventually he was abandoned by his mother when he was 15 years old, and uh, from that point forward, he spent many nights in juvenile detention centers and foster care uh, situations and living as a homeless teen, but his life started to change around 1990 uh, when he met a couple, uh, Russell and B. Costner, a couple in their 70s at the time, and suspecting uh, that this young man was homeless, they hired him. They hired him to mow their yard. He mowed their yard every week for that summer, and by the end of the summer, uh, they invited him into their lives, and they gave him a bedroom uh, in their home. Uh, it was their unconditional love and their prayerful support that helped Jimmy get through high school, uh, get through college, and uh, really get back up on his feet, and more importantly, uh, it was their relationship and their prayers and their support that helped him uh, realize and discover forgiveness uh, and the importance of a life and a relationship through Jesus. Now, Jimmy loved music, and well, just to make a long story uh, short, he went on to discover this career in Nashville, and he tells the story of finishing up a night at Madison Square Garden, probably the highlight uh, of his music career, where he had opened that night for Brad Paisley, and he was heading back to the bus that night when he walked past a homeless man uh, that was on the street there, and it was in that moment that the Lord reminded him where he had been and where the Lord had taken him. And God spoke into that, not his heart that night, and he called him to something new, a life that wasn't nearly as focused on music, but instead more focused on telling the story of Jesus and everything that Jesus had done for him. Uh, today, Jimmy is an advocate for change and foster care and for the power of the gospel and the good news of Jesus and what happens when the light of Jesus Christ comes into to your life. God changed his sorrow to joy, and now he's using Jimmy uh, to bring that light to other people. See, God sent his son to bring light into the world, to overcome the darkness. And like with Jimmy Wayne, what he wants for you and me is he wants to put that light in your life, and then he wants to use you and use your life and use your joy to reflect that light for others to see. Will you let him turn your sorrow to joy as you hear and understand that he favors you, that he is with you, and that he has a plan for your life? And what's the key for us? I mean, what's the key for that joy? Where does it begin? I think it's in Mary's response. If we go back one more time to verse 38, how does she humbly respond in that moment? She says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. You know, Mary was the most unexpected person to be used in this moment. I mean, an unmarried teenage girl from this hick town in North Carolina. She's got no credentials. She's got nothing to brag about on her resume except that she makes herself available. She's ready to be used by God. How about you? Would you be willing to allow the Lord to do that work in your life? Would you be willing to allow God to shine through your life? to bring glory to himself, and to bring light for others to see. Will you pray with me? Will you bow your heads and pray with me? You know, maybe that's where some of you are ready to respond this morning, even as we pray, and just to pray something like this, Lord, I'm your servant. Use me. Would you pray that today? No matter your circumstances or situation, just pray, Lord, I am your servant. Use me. 
For some of you here today, maybe you find yourself in a really difficult place right now and you want to believe this. And you want that joy for your life. You just don't know how to take it. Maybe just pray a very honest prayer this morning, something like, Lord, I need your help. Help me. Maybe pray, Lord, I need joy in my life. Fill me. You know, I want to be honest with some of you as we pray. For some of you, it's hard for you, and it's not going to get any easier because you don't have Christ in your life right now. And maybe that's the prayer that you need to pray today. Maybe that's the, the invitation that you need to receive today, the invitation to take Christ into your life to let him love you and to forgive you, to hear that you are favored by him, to have him inside of you, and to understand more and more God's will for your life. If that's where you are today and you just find yourself in that place of desperation, maybe just pray simply, Lord, save me. Father, save me. Forgive me. I am yours. God, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, uh, that he is the one that can transform our sorrow to joy. We thank you for the light that he brings into the darkness of our lives. And I pray, Lord, that for every single one of us, we would either be able to pray today or come to this place in our lives, Lord, where we can pray that prayer of Mary and say, Lord, I am your servant. Use me. Use the circumstances of my life. Redeem those circumstances in my life. Use me, Lord. Let your plan in my life be fulfilled. Well, God, would you do that for us? Would you do that in our church? Would you do that here in our community so that others might see that light too? God, we thank you that you sent your son to be with us, that we don't have to walk alone, and that we can celebrate that for our lives, and we can celebrate that this Christmas. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.